There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and you're listening to Health Essentials Podcast by Cleveland Clinic. Today, we're broadcasting from Cleveland Clinic main campus here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we're here with Dr. Benjamin Abraham. Thank you so much for being here. Dr. Abraham is a pain management specialist in the Department of Pain Management here at Cleveland Clinic, and today we're talking about fibromyalgia. So please remember, this is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So before we jump into the topic, I'm going to ask you some questions just to get to know you on a personal level. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> sure thing. So uh, best meal you've ever had? Oh, that'd be a, that'd be a local favorite. Uh, melt Bar and Grill. I'd really? Say. It's a bacon cheeseburger. Bacon cheeseburger. I've never yeah. had that one. I'll have to try that one. Good. All right. So uh, how about fiction or nonfiction, whether it be books or movies? What is your favorite? Oh, I'm a big movie buff. Uh, definitely action movies. I, mean, I grew up on the uh, the cheesy uh, 1980s, 1990s action movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yes. <laughs> so, uh, but as far as reading goes, it's mostly nonfiction. Okay. Um, uh, biographies. Uh, uh, part of what got me into medicine was uh, biographies of uh, doctors and scientists. I just found it so interesting. Excellent. So you watch a lot of documentaries on Netflix and all the good stuff. I do, yeah. I'm a buff for those two. So um, how about if you weren't a physician today, what would you be? Wow. Uh, maybe unemployed, but uh, <laughs> maybe uh, uh, I, I think something in healthcare, whether yeah. it be uh, nursing or dentistry or um, maybe an engineer, a biomedical engineer, sure. uh, if I uh, couldn't choose anything in healthcare. But yeah. uh Helping people it has been super satisfying, and so uh, I can't imagine myself doing anything that didn't involve service. So Great. Well, very happy to have you here and as a physician. So um, let's talk about fibromyalgia. First of all, let's just talk about what it is. Well, fibromyalgia, uh, you know, when, we're, when doctors are talking amongst themselves, we're really talking about a, a chronic, meaning greater than three months, a widespread muscle and joint pain. Now, the thing about that definition is there are many, many diseases that could fall into that category. So uh, when we get into the nitty-gritty, we'll tease out more about what really this widespread musculoskeletal pain uh, really is. Sure. Um, patients often have multiple different symptoms that in times past were written off as crazy or hysterical or making it up or all in your head. And so... Um, these various symptoms, which we're going to talk about, um, manifest mostly in this widespread pain. So when you say muscle and joints, mm -hmm. is that um, in a certain place on the body, or is that all the muscles, all the joints? So the rheumatologists had tried to differentiate, diagnose, uh, really put a finger on what it entails. Mm -hmm. They came up with uh, widespread pain, meaning upper and lower body left side and right side. Uh, and so this can most commonly be neck pain, back pain, but can in involve tenderness, uh, pain in any of, the, any of the upper and lower extremities, arms and legs. 
So then when patients come to you, um, did they already Google it? Did they already come saying, I think I have fibromyalgia? Or how is it diagnosed by you as a physician? Well, I'd say it's uh, a mixture of both. It's many patients uh, with the wonderful internet we have, have done their research, and that's great. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd say the other half of the patients may have been diagnosed with something else, mm -hmm. rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, multiple sclerosis, uh, anxiety or depression. And that may be the diagnosis that they're coming uh, for in their chart. And uh, either way, knowledge is power. These patients who have read about the disease often ask the best questions. Sure. So is it common that fibromyalgia is usually paired with a different disease? So fibromyalgia essentially is a syndrome, meaning that a collection of symptoms, so pain here, pain there, mm -hmm. Uh, migraine, uh, problems with the stomach, uh, all these fall under this umbrella. And uh, scientists and historians noticed that all these symptoms were falling under the same umbrella together. Mm -hmm. So this syndrome, this collection of symptoms, really uh, has been occurring together for a long time. We've recognized this since the 1800s. Sure, sure. Um, so th these patients will... Uh, come with other diagnoses, often it's one of these uh, uh, diagnoses that fits under the umbrella of fibromyalgia. Sure. So what, um, what other doctors can diagnose fibromyalgia? Is it only a pain specialist? Can like your primary care physician or who, who can? Uh, that's a good question. Um, many patients uh, might assume that you'd have to go to a pain management doctor to get an accurate diagnosis of pain. Mm -hmm. um, but think about uh, if I've spent many years out in the sun, uh, I come to my family doctor, uh, and he noticed a suspicious mole on my face, then, well, I would certainly want him to point that out, make that diagnosis. So whether your family doctor or your rheumatologist or uh, uh, orthopedic surgeon decides to, uh, to mention to you, uh, it's important either way. They can refer, refer you to a specialist okay. uh, if they don't feel comfortable making the definitive diagnosis themselves, in much the same way that if I saw a suspicious mole, I would say to a patient, let's get that checked out by an expert, right. since uh, I don't feel comfortable uh, being the be-all and end-all for your skin sure. mole. Sure. Uh, so it, it, it varies how patients come to me. Uh, some of them uh, refer themselves. Some of them are referred by their family doctor. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are even referred by a different pain management doctor in the community if uh, their symptoms aren't getting better with the conventional treatments. So then if symptoms aren't getting better with, with just a primary care physician, then they would be referred to pain specialists like yourself. What we really want to do is make sure patients get the proper treatment and work up and diagnosis wherever they can. Sure. Uh, with the pressures of the American healthcare system and the frustrations that leads to for patients, we really want to make sure that uh, whoever can make the diagnosis does. Uh, if they are getting better with these conventional treatments, um, that's great. They would never even need to cross my door. Right, right. Um, so these patients uh, who have these widespread pains can ultimately get a diagnosis from anyone. Sure. So let's talk about some of the uh, most common symptoms that you hear from patients with fibromyalgia, what they say to you and what to look for. So uh, besides the widespread pain, the muscle uh, and joint pain, patients are typically presenting with headache. Uh, they're also typically 
presenting with some kind of abdominal disturbance. So let's say diarrhea, constipation, or both. In fact, they may have been diagnosed in the past with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, they may have a some kind of pelvic pain that came to the attention of their gynecologist. Uh, they may have some uh, uh, knee arthritis, for example, right. superimposed on this pain, and so they may have found their way to an orthopedic surgeon uh, to try to get all this worked up. Sure. So um, another interesting phenomenon that seems to occur with patients is uh, something called POTS, which is essentially patients lay down. If they stand up really fast, they get dizzy. Mm -hmm. They might find their way to a cardiologist in the uh, pursuit of working this up. And so this, um, this phenomenon uh, obviously is not made up, obviously not in their heads. Right. Um, often they are taken very seriously and get a, a, a thorough workup for this condition. Right leaving aside some of the other problems like anxiety, depression, uh, that may co-occur with, with the muscle and joint pain. Sure. So it sounds like fibromyalgia is a little bit hard to pinpoint where there's so many issues that can come with it. Well, it has a lot of mimickers, uh, various conditions, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, can often mimic these same conditions. Um, inflammatory bowel diseases, so, uh, and your immune system attacking your intestines uh, in instances such as Crohn's disease yeah. can cause not only disturbances in your abdomen, in the intestines, but also joint pain, right. uh, eye problems, skin problems, and so you might, wow. uh, uh, you might not expect that something in the intestines would have such global uh, effects, but it really does. Same story with fibromyalgia. So these patients are often um, heading down multiple rabbit holes with multiple different specialists, which is why they're so frustrated. Right, right. It's hard to pinpoint. So the, um, the, the immune system is attacking the body. Is that, is that accurate? Is it an autoimmune disease? Well, that was originally what we thought. Okay. Now, um, the name of fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. uh, the syndrome that we uh, speak of today, went through various names in the past. Um, uh, fibromyositis, um, for all you uh, English nerds, Latin nerds out there, the, the itis, the inflammation part of that really suggested that either it was some virus, some infection, some fungus, versus your, your own immune system attacking your own body mm -hmm. and then causing inflammation. And so that itis, like tonsillitis, for example, right. uh, really was one of those rabbit holes that scientists, physicians, were chasing for a long time. Uh, since then, uh, we've done the research to check the muscles, check the joints, look for inflammation, and in many cases it wasn't found on these biopsies. We didn't have a good explanation for that until we understood more about the brain, the spinal cord, and the pain processing nerves. Okay. so. What causes it? That's my next question. <laughs> so we don't actually know okay. or fully understand what causes it. Right. Now, uh, if you check brain scans, PET scans of, of patients, you can actually see neuroinflammation. Mm. Um, that's a fancy way of saying that the pain nerves are inflamed. They're irritated. You can't fake that. Right. And so when compared 
to patients who have no symptoms of pain. And when we look at these patients with fibromyalgia and the various um, uh, coexisting symptoms, tiredness, uh, exercise intolerance, uh, headache, uh, GI disturbances, mm -hmm. there seems to be a pr pretty convincing correlation between those symptoms and uh, this neuroinflammation. Mm -hmm. So we're beginning to understand uh, fibromyalgia as a disease of pain processing rather than local inflammation in a muscle. Um, looking back in the history books, uh, we know that uh, lots of diseases were mistaken in the past. Uh, HIV is a prominent example from when I was growing up. Uh, at first it was considered to be a result of hard partying. HIV and AIDS was then subsequently named GRID, gay-related immune deficiency, thinking that the lifestyle um, of homosexual men included uh, hard partying, promiscuous sex, and so uh, scientists, unfortunately, when I was a kid, uh, thought that there might be some correlation rather than an actual virus. So looking back a little bit further in the history books, schizophrenia uh, was mistaken for demons inside the skull. Wow. So um, people would drill holes in the skull to try to let the demons out. Wow. Looking back on it now, it seems, uh, seems crazy, yeah. but um, we have a lot of examples where diseases that we now understand um, were really thought to be uh, some mystical related stuff. some mystical <laughs> cause. So yes. we're really uh, making a lot of breakthroughs in the science, and um, the term term all in your head really doesn't apply if you look at the science. Sure, sure. And just like you mentioned, neuroinflammation. I don't even know there's such a term that existed. <laughs> it sounds like it would just affect everything. Right. If it's if it started in the brain. And speaking of all in your head, that's my next question. So many patients hear it. It's all in your head. So I want to talk about um, why people, I mean, we talked about why people talk about that, but people that hear about that and hear that it is, you know, just in your head or maybe some doctors are not helping them, what can they do to get better? Well, the patients hear that a lot because of um, if they have many problems that are existing at the same time, mm -hmm. often it's overwhelming for the uh, primary care doctor uh, or the specialist to hear all about these problems. One of the things that uh, we're finding is that treatment of fibromyalgia as a disease tends to improve many of these symptoms together. Sure. Uh, so rather than seeing 10 different specialists for 10 different problems, migraine, abdominal pain, diarrhea, um, treatment of fibromyalgia, either through medicines or non-medicine treatments, uh, tends to improve their function. Mm -hmm. uh, in many ways, I wish the, the sign on my front door said functional improvement, because really that's what we're looking for. So any treatment we suggest is going to be uh, focused on improving the patient's function. Sure, sure. So fibromyalgia isn't life-threatening, correct? But it can affect a person's life in a lot of different ways. Can you explain the complications of this disease? Absolutely. The as an anesthesiologist, uh, by training, uh, we look at life-threatening in a somewhat different way. Right. <clears throat> you might ask someone on the street, is cancer life-threatening? They'd say, yes, it can be. Mm -hmm. uh, you might ask someone, is depression life-threatening? Uh, 
They might say no. But for example, if a patient has severe depression that's coexisting with um, fibromyalgia, yes. it may be so severe that they're uh, suicidal. As an anesthesiologist, we know that there are many treatments where we're classifying a patient about to undergo anesthesia as an emergency, as a life-threatening emergency. One, one I can think of uh, very clearly is uh, ECT, this electroconvulsive therapy that is used as a last-ditch effort, quote-unquote, uh, by psychiatrists. Um, these might be <clears throat> otherwise healthy patients who have severe depression that is threatening to their, to their life. Sure. So when we talk about life-threatening, um, in some ways we have to expand that definition. Uh, I really like the anesthesiologist definition where uh, there are many ways in which your life can be altered, harmed, and even threatened. Mm -hmm. If we're looking at fibromyalgia, uh, these patients typically get uh, a breakdown in their social relationships, their family relationships, they lose social support that's so critical for a patient with a disease to recover. Sure. So um, maybe we need to expand our, our, our definitions here about life-threatening, and maybe it's better to even talk about it as life-altering. It is a severe life-altering disease if left untreated really uh, ruins many people's lives. Sure. And there's more than one thing to this equation to make it this complicated disease. Absolutely. So what treatments are there for this disease? And if you can mention also some non-opioid treatment mm -hmm. options. Sure. So whenever we talk about treatments for any disease, we want to first talk about proven treatments. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about we're not sure treatments, yes. the gray area, and uh, areas that we need to do some more research in. And then treatments that we've tried and proven in a, in a rigorous research setting that they just don't work. Um, if I have a stroke, I don't want to go to the doctor and have him uh, suggest eating frog le frog's legs. Yes. Uh, we want to do proven treatments only, and yes. you wouldn't accept that in it with any other disease process. So sure. with fibromyalgia, it's especially important to only pursue treatments that are proven. Um, so as far as treatments, we touched a little bit on that earlier. There's uh, both medical meaning medicine and non-medicine treatments for this. One hallmark of fibromyalgia is that these patients tend to be very medicine sensitive, and we don't exactly know why. But I can tell, looking at my schedule in the morning, a patient with widespread pain uh, uh, who has multiple allergies, already I'm on, it's on my radar that maybe they have fibromyalgia. Let's, let's touch on that during their appointment. Um, and so often you'll find patients with fibromyalgia have uh, intolerances to the conventional FDA-approved treatments. So uh, as far as medicine treatments go, if you would come to your family doctor with widespread pain, you've had it for greater than three months, it's in the upper and lower body, the left and the right side, and they suspected fibromyalgia, they might try you on a medicine like duloxetine or pregabalin. Uh, or, or milnasopram. And so these three medicines work in different ways, but all seem to uh, treat these symptoms. Sure. When we say treat, that's, a, that's an important uh, word because what do we really mean by that? Uh, patients with fibromyalgia often need multimodal, many, many modes of treatment together 
in order to get them their lives back, in order to restore their function. So patients in my practice will often need both a medicine and a non-medicine treatment. So medicines, and not being the mainstay here, we often talk about patients uh, using Tai Chi, um, patients using meditation, patients using cognitive behavioral therapy okay. as examples. Okay, great. So when you said earlier, you mentioned um, that these patients tend to be medicine sensitive. Are you talking about the side effects of medicine really affect them? Or what do you mean by medicine sensitive? Uh, absolutely, yeah. The, these patients, uh, especially in my practice, uh, I'm finding that uh, they tend to have the side effects that one might see. They tend to have them more frequently. Mm. Um, okay. Every medicine has a side effect. The question is, does the patient notice it? Does the patient uh, have a risk versus benefit discussion? Sure. Maybe I have minor side effects from this antibiotic, but it's important to clear up my infection, so I'll continue to take it. Right. The math doesn't always add up in that way with a patient with fibromyalgia because they may have severe side effects from various medicines. Right, and other issues that they may have as well. Right, and that doesn't, uh, we don't fully understand why that is just yet. We're just scratching the surface in, in so far as the lab science and the uh, research trials. Sure. So let's talk about cognitive behavior therapy mm -hmm. and um, how that can help uh, patients. What kind of... Um, what kind of things go on in, in a cognitive therapy session? So uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is very important because um, essentially it's, people have heard the word psychotherapy before, it's goal-oriented psychotherapy. Um, it emphasizes changes in thought patterns and behaviors uh, rather than we're talking about deep insights you might see on TV right. <laughs> uh, happen during psychotherapy. Yes. Uh, a patient might say, well, I have a broken leg, um, it's causing me pain, therefore my life is ruined. Uh, and we know if we can break that chain, we can actually change the thoughts and the behaviors of the patient, we can actually improve their function. So there's been research trials about this, and they've really shown that there's been global improvements in function, uh, global improvements in pain rating, and these are sustainable uh, even when we're talking about patients who are not taking any medicines at all. Right, right. So you're, are you helping them change their perception or something like that when it comes to the pain that they're dealing with? Is that what CBT is about? Well, yeah, in, in, in plain terms, yes. The, the uh, many patients with pain, um, uh, many patients have pain and not all of their lives are ruined by it. And so if we can break that cycle of pain, suffering, and uh, um, uh, social and relationship dysfunction, right. we really can help these patients. Yeah. So breaking that chain of events is really um, uh, the, one of the goals of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, we work with psychologists. In, most recently, we're, we're, we're working with psychologists on a shared medical appointment mm -hmm. to integrate both the psychological uh, approach to treating this disease as well as the medical approach. So with the shared medical appointments, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because patients are using shared medical appointments for this diagnosis. Can you describe what that is and why it's beneficial for these patients? Uh, a lot of diseases are very isolating. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a broken leg, everyone has sympathy for you for the 12 weeks that it takes for it to heal. Yes. 
Uh, but imagine if you had this broken leg for 10 years. Your family might get a little tired of hearing yes. about your broken leg. Uh, they wouldn't want to sign your cast at year 10 compared to, you know, uh, day one. Yes. So uh, fibromyalgia is very isolating, and uh, patients often uh, are become shut-ins because of the pain. Uh, getting these patients together with patients with similar problems uh, often has a beneficial effect on the pain. We're only now coming to understand that in regards to diabetes, cancer treatment, high blood pressure, uh, patients with heart disease. So this, this model of a shared medical appointment really pairs the patient up with uh, people going through the same problem that they have, providing social support for them, and ultimately um, uh, makes the treatments that we're offering more effective. Sure, sure. So then it's a bunch of patients supporting each other, and also a physician is in the room? Right, is right. Is there a psychologist as well? So the way we've structured it is that... It, It'll be a one-hour appointment with uh, a physician, um, uh, myself, my colleagues, uh, some of whom are anesthesiologists like me, some of whom are rheumatologists, some of whom are neurologists, and we spend an hour with the patient really talking about the newest research and answering their questions. Uh, that's hard to find uh, in, in a disease like fibromyalgia. It's very hard to to have the undivided attention of both your peers and uh, a physician. Sure. Uh, after that one hour, we're spending another hour with these patients uh, with a pain psychologist, someone who's specializing in these uh, psychological treatment methods. So this two-hour appointment really um, uh, packs quite a punch as far as treating it, getting these patients uh, back to functioning. Sure. And with the psychologist, is that, is that then him, and, him or her would explain about meditation? Do you guys like kind of go over what meditation is and how it could help and how you could do it at home or anywhere? I mean, is that something, a big point of this, I hope? Really, uh, once the patients uh, hear about the, the methods, of, methods of cognitive behavioral therapy, they can take those home and implement them, them in their daily lives. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, patients don't want to do is commit to lifelong psychotherapy. But if we can give them the tools to get better, they can implement that at home and uh, recover. So how do you think meditation helps? Well, we're not sure exactly. We're, we're seeing functional benefits with meditation in a lot of different uh, disease processes, fibromyalgia included. Um, and so we're not sure how it's working. We're not sure why it's working. Mm -hmm. but. Uh, there have been some small trials of it that have shown a benefit. Most importantly, these, these uh, treatments, these psychological treatments, uh, these alternative treatments, when paired with conventional Western uh, medical treatments, seem to yield the greatest improvements. So that's really what we're focusing on in the shared medical appointments, is pairing uh, the mind and the body approach to treat these patients. That's excellent, because meditation is very helpful. I mean, it's stress, anxiety, anybody, really. Um, so I want to talk about um, the different Cleveland Clinic specialists that you would be working with. So if the pain is targeted in an area, are you working then with a different specialist? I know you mentioned earlier a rheumatologist could be in the room. Right. Um, if someone had IBS or some kind of gut issues, mm -hmm. do you work with Digestive Disease Institute? Like, do you, do you get to do this kind of work? We, we share quite a few patients with these different departments. At, yes. at the present, we're working with rheumatology closely, okay. anesthesiology, and pain psychology together sure. on the shared medical appointments. Okay. Um, 
uh, looking to expand soon, but that's in the works. <laughs> Great. It's excellent to hear. All right. So now I want to talk about diet and exercise when mm -hmm. it comes to this disease. Um, diet affects everything and everyone, so that's very important to talk about. With exercise, I want to emphasize about how uh, patients with fibromyalgia are in pain. They're in pain in a lot of ways in a lot mm -hmm. of their bodies, and how are they supposed to right. exercise with that pain and what to do? That's a common question we get, mm -hmm. and that's why this, uh, uh, these trials with Tai Chi were so exciting. If you look at um, patients who were formerly very active, they were, <clears throat> they were uh, marathon runners, they were uh, power lifters, and now even just uh, doing yoga, they can't do anymore. Uh, so patients often feel like, well, I feel like I've been beat up all over. I, you know, I feel like I have the flu. How can you ask this patient to do an intensive exercise program? These research trials on Tai Chi were so exciting because this is a uh, uh, ancient uh, uh, martial art that is gentle, is slow, is low intensity, but also seems to yield some pain relieving benefits for these patients. So it's both exercise as well as treatment. Uh, and it's called, you said it's Tai Chi? Tai Chi. And is it like more movements? For yeah, it's very slow movements, uh, very gentle movements. Um, the nice thing about having the internet now is you can Google type it. in, you can Google it, <laughs> and you can really uh, find many, many instructional videos online okay. free of charge. Uh, there are many classes at your local YMCA community centers. Okay. Uh, and so patients can find those locally uh, in their community oftentimes or look on the internet and uh, easily find some, can I have some beginnings. T-A-I-C-H-I. Perfect. All right. Cool. So how about like water aerobics? Is that something, because uh, you would think like, you know, in the water, just mm -hmm. you feel, lift, you know. You yeah, ma many of our patients uh, sort of graduate to water aerobics, okay. water therapy, um, it's not the first thing that I would suggest to a patient, since uh, patients coming to my office have often already had physical therapy. Uh, often their uh, pain was worsened with uh, motions that, uh, uh, when used alone, uh, didn't help them recover. So they've really had a bad taste in their mouth. Mm. Uh, if we treat these patients with uh, many different modes of, of treatment, including Tai Chi, uh, taken together, these all seems to, seem to help. Okay, so Tai Chi it is. Let's try that one too. So um, let's talk about diet. Mm -hmm. um, I would think some kind of anti-inflammatory diet, and then you know what you think is mm -hmm. is the ideal diet. And I like to always <laughs> ask the doctors this question. So I'd like your take. I wish I know. I'd <laughs> ask me when I'm 110. I'll be able to tell you. But um, there's been a lot in the press about turmeric. Uh, as an Indian, I can tell you all about turmeric. Yes. I just can't tell you how much of it to eat. Uh, and, and that's the, the key about diet. We, we are in the process of doing research trials in the medical community, but don't have any definitive answers as to what the dose would be, how often to take it. Uh, when we look at um, populations around the world who are living, living long, functional lives, we know that avoidance of uh, uh, processed foods, avoidance of high carbohydrate, high sugar yes. foods, seems to be the common denominator. Uh, when you look at the Japanese, the Greeks, there are lots of folks there who are living into their 90s and beyond sure. uh, and living well. And their diet seems to be uh, 
less processed foods, more whole foods, more natural foods, and, and uh, uh, lower intake of carbohydrates. Right. Now, you mentioned turmeric. So it's, it's, for those that don't know, it's a very strong yellow, mm -hmm. orangey right. spice, but anti-inflammatory, right? It seems to be, and, and uh, we don't exactly know how to translate the lab uh, results, mm -hmm. what the scientists are finding at the bench in their laboratories. How do we translate that to humans? Uh, we know of plenty of examples of that. If you think about uh, treatment after a knee replacement, mm -hmm. Um, in animal models, it seems that anti-inflammatory medicines, so Advil, naproxen, um, medicines such as that, seem to block bone healing in the animal models, in some animal models. And you might think, well, then no human should take an anti-inflammatory medicine after their knee replacement. A as it turns out, <clears throat> anti-inflammatories are very effective to treat the pain of a joint replacement. And we haven't solidly been able to prove that in humans these medicines interfere with healing or make a worse outcome. Sure. So the bench research doesn't always exactly translate into the um, uh, you know, real world right. of today. Right. Uh, and so we have to be careful about extrapolating uh, benefits of any food, mm -hmm. uh, prescribing that to a patient especially when the supplement uh, industry currently isn't regulated. Yes. Um, many products are manufactured overseas, and you're not even really sure what you're getting in there. Right, and that's, I, was, I was just going to ask you about the supplements, because you know sometimes people don't cook <coughs> with turmeric or don't know how to cook it or don't know how much to put in their food, so they'll hear, oh, just get a supplement. But again, not FDA approved, and it's one of those things that maybe help, but we don't have the research. Right. We, have, we don't have the research, and more importantly, it's not regulated. <coughs> I always want to suggest to my patients uh, that they focus their energies on treatments that work, mm -hmm. treatments that are proven. Mm -hmm. uh, often these diseases are depleting patients financially, yes. sending patients down rabbit holes of, well, maybe this might work, might as well try it, gets expensive. Right, right. I can only imagine. Okay, well, I have one more question for you. So I just want to <coughs> have you give um, advice or strategies for patients to manage their fibromyalgia. You know, like we're talking about diet, exercise, Tai Chi, just what, what you have to say to, to our patients that are struggling with this disease or syndrome. Well, no, knowledge is power. <clears throat> Read as much as you can. Yes. Uh, learn about the disease process. If you think that you have it, uh, attend one of our shared medical appointments. Uh, talk to your family doctor about it. Uh, come into the office to see either uh, myself or one of my colleagues. And... Uh, Talking about it, working through all the intricacies of the disease that we're just now coming to understand uh, is important since education is really uh, going to help these patients take care of themselves. Yes, yes. And there's not just one approach. Everybody's different. Every fibromyalgia patient. <clears throat> Every, we tailor the approach to each patient. Sure. What we're finding about this syndrome is that all these symptoms fall under the same umbrella uh, with a general generally applicable skeleton of treatment, we can get these patients feeling better. Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much. It's been very informative. Well, thank you. Very nice to have you. And thank you again for all of our listeners who joined us today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. And to learn more about pain management, you can visit clevelandclinic.org slash pain management. Or to make an appointment with Dr. Abraham, you can call 
866-320-4573. And to listen to more of our Health Essentials podcast from our Cleveland Clinic experts, make sure you go to clevelandclinic.org slash HEPodcast, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And for more Cleveland Clinic health tips, news, and information, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, just one word. Thank you. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.